Elvis, 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 Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Elvis Has Left the Movies. We are a podcast dedicating to watching all 30 bajillion whatever the heck movies are left of the Elvis movie. We've only got, it's 31, Morgan. We've only got one left. (laughs) I'm so, so excited to hear that, Matt. I'm so excited. Uh, This week, we are going to be talking about The Trouble with Girls. And Matt, the only question I have for you is, what is The Trouble with Girls? Uh, Man, where do I start? (laughs) There's, uh, (laughs) you know, they're just so kooky and they're just all all over the place. No one girl is the same, though. So it seems like everyone has a different trouble uh, that they're getting into. Yeah. I think instead of talking about The Trouble with Girls, we're going to talk about The Trouble with the trouble with girls okay this movie is is a little messy yeah <laughs> but i kind of like it's it. pretty messy it's, it's weird tra- yeah it is weird right there was a lot of scenes here that i was like what is, why is this scene happening in this way why is the camera mm-hmm. spinning around why does this look like a fever dream yeah yeah no all the weird filmmaking choices i'm like all right man go off you just okay he's he's doing this now cool yeah like if charo last time we did charo and that was like so simple like there wasn't yeah. enough going on to fill up the runtime yeah this movie has way too much going on yeah <laughs> it's, it's way the exact too much. opposite they, they could have cut so much shit from this movie yes they could have oh wait matt you're supposed to ask me what the trouble with girls is okay morgan what do you think the trouble with girls is um they smell bad <laughs> <laughs> wow right to the point <laughs> yeah that's what's that's the trouble with girls is that uh, they don't take out the garbage and um, it makes them stinky. Girls are stinky. You you heard it here first. I mean, so you, this you movie would know, is about. You? <laughs> I would. Know. I'm. You know, I'm more of like a. You can think of me as a girl if you like, but it's probably best that you don't. You know what I mean? No, you're a lady. You take out the trash. <laughs> uh, so th- who is this movie by? This trash fire. Uh, okay, well, yeah, we'll jump right into it. Sure. Yeah. Let's just. So this was another MGM production once again. Uh, it sure it was. Came out September third, nineteen sixty nine. And although it is on the title screen, like the the movie is just called The Trouble with Girls. All of the advertising and the posters called it The Trouble with Girls, and then in little parentheses it said and how to get into it. Oh my god so stupid because they didn't know what to call this movie because they absolutely didn't know what to call this movie listen wait hold on i gotta tell you but by the end of the movie i had forgotten that the title of the movie was the trouble with girls sure because they had talking so much about the chautauqua and the yes it was just supposed to be called chautauqua it should have it should have just been called that's that was the name of the novel they adapted but it's like no one knows what a chautauqua is i guess so i didn't know what a chautauqua was until i read the book and then I, i looked it up oh so what is a chautauqua well i'm glad you asked it was like a traveling show back in the day where they would have speakers it was like an educational thing and they would oh. it was also like a variety show like a circus. It was just like an all-in-one like entertainment because it was the 1920s there was no TVs or anything. You had theaters. Right. right. But like it was still silent pictures and Right. Yeah, they were just That's really interesting. But as they point out in this movie, this the book was set in 1921, which was kind of fun because I read it at the end of last year so it was like imagining exactly 100 years in the past. And it was it was really 
well written in that respect. It was, had a good sense of time and place. There's a lot. That book is long, and there's a lot going on, which is why they really tried to. I don't know why they didn't just condense more of the subplots and stuff, but they really tried to put a lot of the book in there. Right, 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 um, right, 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 right. But the movie pushes it forward to 1927, and there's like a whole narrator at the beginning who's like yeah. setting the scene. He's like, it's 1927, and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, J.R. Hoover is uh, doing his thing, and blah blah blah. It's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those Chautauquas were on their way out because right. now they have sound mixed with the picture for movies. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, you know, what else do you need? Like, they're pretty much done. It's true. It's true. It's true. So, yeah. so okay. So it's made but by as MGM Studios. To your question about who made this, the director. Yeah. Uh, wait, actually, I want to just throw in the synopsis. I'm going to give you the IMDb okay. synopsis, and then right. I'm going to give you the Turner Classic Movie synopsis because when I watched it over the holidays, it was the recording off of Turner Classic Movies. So the IMDb... They're keeping very uh, coy. They're just saying Chautauqua manager Walter Hale and his loyal business manager struggle to keep their traveling troupe together in small town America. Very generic. Yes. Very, you know. Yeah. But my interest was piqued when I read this, the synopsis from TCM where they said a traveling show star gets involved in a small town murder case. And I was like, oh, ooh, <laughs> now yeah. that's something. Yeah. Uh, it, it's only a small part of this movie and it really comes yeah. out of nowhere and then it gets it resolved really in the weirdest way, which is... They, they completely diverge from the book. But anyways, the guy who directed this is Peter Tewksbury. Mm-hmm. Do you remember this name? No. It's okay. He directed Stay Away Joe. Oh, God. Not that guy again. I know. Oh, that makes so much sense now about all those crazy camera angles. Yes, because he's definitely... That, that carried over. But at it least did, this is a better yeah. story. Like, yeah, easily. I'm very... Yeah, oh, God, yeah. Anything's better than uh, that. Even though it's still overstuffed. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> so... Okay, let's just get into it because th- this l- mm-hmm. look. Do you want? I'm yeah, gonna, let's just you just gonna, you go yeah. off on the plot. Let me tell you about this. Do it. This dumb fucking movie. So Elvis. Tell me the experience of sitting down and watching it. <laughs> yeah. So it's been look. It's the thirtieth movie. Okay, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. The the audience is tired. You at home listening. If you're not tired, you've got to be drinking some strong coffee. So when I sat down to watch this, I was like completely defeated inside and just like was like, okay, you know, I don't know what's going on or why, but let's just watch. That's always a good going. <laughs> headspace to jump into an Elvis movie. I think so, right? You, you really lower your expectations. <laughs> but I was at first... I know this is so stupid. I was first really struck by the fact that this is the first movie that Elvis has his big classic sideburns in, which was really exciting. Mm-hmm. And then I was struck by they were trying to sell the time that it was placed in and the outfits were for certain women the outfits were fine and like looked like they would have been worn in the 1920s and 30s and whatnot yeah but the main like girl the mother character that the plot is kind of centered around and she what happens to her and what she does is what moves the plot forward Mm -hmm. she's the main character of the book yeah she they they dressed her like it was the 1960s and it was such a weird decision to make her clothes it was like she waltzed in on set and they totally forgot that she was going to be in this movie and they were like oh jesus christ just pull something off the rack and put something on this poor woman her hair was different than everybody else's her makeup was different than everybody else's and her clothes were different from everybody else's and it was really strange and uh you know what also I would just like to let everybody know that the beginning of this movie starts off with Elvis coming off of a train and seeing a couple of children 
a black boy and a little white classic American girl. And he looks at the black boy and he's like, how's it going? And the little black boy says, white folks still ahead, miss. It was like, what the, what the fuck? Oh, so this is this. Is this not the second movie that we have like a black person in out of all of the Elvis movies? No, I think there was the kid from Frankie and Johnny. There was the lawyer from Wild in the Country. There was the one Carney from Roustabout. And then there was just some performers doing, but we didn't really count those because they weren't characters. They were just there to kind of like sing along. Yeah. So, yeah. It was really strange. It was really... This is also a very weird movie. It talks about... So the troupe has a union in it. There's this girl who's trying to unionize different members of the troupe and yes. protect their their stuff and whatever the heck. And for those of us that maybe don't know, back in the 1920s and 30s, there was a lot of unionizing that went on. And the general public was really, really frightened by this. You can kind of get like an understanding of like where the, 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 the attitude was at if you read The Grapes of Wrath, which talks about people from marginalized classes trying to unionize. And people were so terrified of communism mm-hmm. and of socialism because of what was happening in Russia and in China. So union busting was like a really, really big thing, not just because of capitalist interests, but also because of international relationships and stuff like that. And it's really weird to watch this movie that was made in the late 60s that is based on union busting from the 1930s while we live today in a time where union busting is still very much at the forefront of our like political discourse it was really really just interesting not like good or bad or anything just very very it was weird it was weird it, watching it is it weird being like wow there's a lot of that the polarization is just rippling across time you know time is a flat circle <laughs> yeah and then there's this weird part of the fucking movie where a chick gets greased up and takes a dip into a pond while like giving a sermon oh yeah and don't forget the part where our our boy shows up. What's his name again? Vincent Price. Mm-hmm. Vincent Price shows up in this movie out of nowhere and won't shut the fuck up. And is just, you can tell, like, he's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to say what I got to say. And to hell with all the other actors and actresses on set. It's it's Vincent Price time. I mean, that's what he was hired to do. He's, yes. he's one of the orators that's there to, like, spin yes. knowledge. But you have to admit that it was a little strange for him to show up. It just felt really out of the blue, you know, for Vincent Price to show up in an Elvis movie. See, I knew that was coming. So I guess it wasn't as weird to me just because I knew. Yeah. That was the thing I was excited to see. I knew in the back of my mind, even though I hoped, I knew they weren't going to share any screen time. And as far as I can tell, there's conflicting information, but it seems like they never actually met because like you oh, know, the scheduling. I see. Because like he introduces them and then the next shot, it's a wide shot and Elvis is already gone from the stage and Vincent Price like walks onto the stage. Right, 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 right. Like, they right. never share the screen. And so yeah, I believe it's that. possible they never even interacted. I will get into it later, but I actually, for Christmas, I received a few Vincent Price biographies and each one Ooh. only has a small, tiny little footnote paragraph relating to this movie because it really is just like... <laughs> It's out of nowhere. You know, the most inconsequential thing from his career. But yeah, I will talk about those later. 
Okay, so, uh, I mean, we don't have to because I feel like that might take up a lot of time for this podcast. I, I, no, I just said it was like two tiny, tiny, like, it's not even paragraphs. I should have said sentences. Are you going to read the paragraphs? Yeah, I have them right here. Oh, okay, I see. I They're see. like sentences. They're not okay. paragraphs. I should gotcha. have discussed. Okay, so th- I think that's, oh, yeah. And then, there. so the main female lead in this movie is essentially like a sexual assault victim and like, the way the community talks about her and the way the movie frames her is super fucked up. Super Yes, bad. It's, it's a lot more heavy in the book because she's been sleeping with every husband in town, but having them pay her for it, she's been prostituting herself right. so that she can get enough money to get her and her daughter out of there. Right. That's the book's plot. The movie doesn't really touch on that. In fact, there's the one part where the guy's like, what if I pay you? And she's like, rah! So, yeah. Yeah, I have a feeling that was probably a, a a move on MGM to sort of you know mm, mm-hmm. keep their hands clean of any actual discourse on the subject of which is the, like then why even include the whole murder in the first place because it's such well, a because, tonal whiplash. Yeah, it, because it it gives MGM or the director or whoever has a vested interest in the project the ability to shape the conversation about these situations. So if yeah. the book is written from the standpoint of looking at her as a prostitute and deconstructing, you know, what she's doing through that perspective, it's more probably at that time conducive for MGM to then take that and say no 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 that's not we don't want people to think that prostitutes have the right to you know get a second chance or anything like that She's also much younger in the book she's like in her early 20s Yeah I think it's probably another cynical move on the on the studios to age her up to be honest because they're, you know, media back then and still today is like absolutely terrified of women's like sexuality and young women in authority and control of their sexuality is particularly threatening to male audiences for some reason. Like they're so fucked up and so repressed. It's so wild. But that's why probably instead of, you know, just following along with the book, they had a reason for portraying her character in the way that they did. And her, by the way, the reason why I pointed out about her outfits, her outfits are indicative of that. So she is dressed differently from everybody else because they are trying to make a statement about the quality of her character, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, it, was, it wasn't really great. They never explain, like, who the black child is. They never explain, like, if he was adopted by her. Or no, no, no. He so just, he, I like... can I can fill in that gap. So yeah. in the book, there's the guy who owns the ice cream store is the black kid's dad. Uh... And the reason that um, her daughter is allowed to hang around with him is because that's the only kid that, like, because the town uh... people know about her promiscuity. And so she has a bad rep. So they're like, oh, yeah, she can. Wow. She, he, she Her daughter can hang around with the color child because we don't want anything to do with her. And it's like, yeah, there's a lot more wow. nuance and stuff going on, or at least more Crazy. explanations. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. So that's pretty much like the everything that kind of bones that I have to pick with the story. Sure. You know, Elvis is just there to like seduce women and whatever. So it's fine. <laughs> it's yeah. Fine. Which is funny because the, the Walter Hale of the book is like early mid forties. Uh, and he makes a point of saying like, he never gets involved with any of his employees. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the first thing. Day one rewrite. They're like, Hey, well, this is an Elvis movie now. So yeah, Elvis is yeah, going to try to get yeah. some action. Yeah. How could so, he not? 
So, okay, let's just get into the the nitty gritty. Tell us about the people who are responsible for this outside of the director. And, Which we've um, already give us, covered, yeah. Yeah, give us the lowdown on the actors and actresses as well. Okay. The last point I need to make about Peter Tewksbury is just that he also directed 37 episodes of My Three Sons, which will come into play later when I talk about the writers. Okay. Right now. The writers <laughs> are a husband and wife team oh. who did a lot of TV. This is actually their only feature film they worked on. Everything else was TV, including two episodes of My Three Sons. Those same two episodes were directed by Peter Tewksbury. So he's worked with them before in that capacity. Oh, okay. I see. So they're named, it's, it's Arnold and Lois Pizer. Hmm. And... They also wrote some episodes of Gilligan's Island, and they wrote a very famous episode of the Dick Van Dyke show called Father of the Week in 1962. That was like a highlight of that series. Huh. Yeah, so it was just, this was one of the, it's like a weird one-off. <laughs> it's one of those weird. things where they just like, they tried at movies, and this was the one movie, and I don't know, it. <laughs> Yeah. Sometimes I wonder about like people who get on with like an Elvis movie. You know, when you make like... I just feel, maybe I'm being like mean, but like, imagine being a writer duo and like you write for some TV episodes and like you write for some Elvis movie or whatever. Like, do you ever wonder if maybe they were like, man, this sucks. I wanted to be like, I wanted to work on good movies. I wanted to do something amazing with my art and my craft. And then they had to instead write a script for Elvis where he seduces women and, you know, fucks around. I, I'll give them. I mean, they tried. I'm, I'm going to say that it's it's really also that they had to adapt this book. Right. Which is just, it's way over all over the place. Because like the book, like I said, the mom is the main character, but it also, it jumps around in like points of view. So like there's a whole chapter where we're with Walter Hale and he's got this lost love. And then there's all of this thing. And there's like, there's like 50 more characters that of course they cut. Because there's a well, bunch of subplots. There's like a big storm you know that what, comes yeah, in. Yeah, you know what they should have done? They should have had it like... It would have been more fun, I think, if it was like a mini anthology movie. Mm, yeah, that could work. You know, where the the Chautauqua, because the, it sounds like the book is trying to give you an experience about all the many cards and characters that are a part yes. of this like little community, right? And that exactly. super duper did is not how this thing felt. Like this movie did not feel like that at all. But of course, if you did that, then you couldn't have Elvis come in and sing for no reason. Yeah, so. <laughs> he sure does. He's back to it. Yeah, Charo, there was no songs, but now he's back to just yeah, shoehorning yeah, in some yeah. musical numbers. Yeah. So um, uh, we've got the yes. writer. Did we do the cinematographer? I'm going to do him next. Okay. Uh, I also just want to mention, so the novelist Chautauqua, it was written by Day Keen and Dwight V. Babcock, and that came out in 1968. Cool. And then the cinematographer is Jacques R. Marquette. Mm. We had him before. He was the cinematographer on Frankie and Johnny. Okay. He also did the cinematography on a really great Roger Corman cult classic, A Bucket of Blood from 1959. I don't know if we've talked about that movie before. I think we might have, actually. But it's great. Yeah. It's like a really cheesy satire of, like, a beatniks and, like, artists, um, nice. which is fun, but it's also, like, a horror movie. And in 65, he was a cinematographer on Winter Agogo. <laughs> but we talked about that already. Yeah. So then the last thing I want to mention is that the same year that this movie came out, he also was the cinematographer on a 1969 Western called More Dead Than Alive, which had Vincent <laughs> Price in it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Does Vincent Price wear a cowboy hat in that movie? I believe he does. Oh, shit. It's actually funny because it's similar to, he's like a traveling showman. So it's like he's the Walter Harrell character in that movie. And then some guy, he like hires him on, even though he's got a, like a past and then it comes Ooh. back to, you know, get him and stuff. Ooh. Something like that. All right, who's next? 
I'm going to talk about the costumes guy because, okay. you know, obviously yeah. there's a lot going on here, even though not all of it yeah. works. So I'm going to give him a five out of seven because the outfits were really cute. The ones that were styled like appropriately, but some of them weren't like very well constructed. They mm. were fine. Sure. And I know that these guys are always working on a budget, but there were some things that like around like neck bands and waists and armbands which are particularly tricky areas to finish well there was some like just wrinkling and bunching and stuff like that but some of the outfits looked better than others and they used a lot of colors that were really fun that was something i wanted to talk about actually so in the 1920s and 30s the flapper style that you see in this movie was prevalent but the color palettes were very different and something that they did in this movie was incorporate a lot of really fun, bright, poppy 1960s and 70s style color palettes into these outfits, which made them really, really fun to engage with. Mm-hmm. Like, So that was fun. Yeah, that reminded me, I wanted to mention this before, in, in case I forget, is that like the movie starts in black and white, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And then like the narrator comes on. And then when he says like, and when the Chautauqua came to town, it's like everything came alive. And when he says came alive, that's the, the exact point that Elvis is exiting yeah, it, the it all comes uh, train and it color. like smash cuts to color. Yeah. 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 Which is kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I give this guy, the costume designer, Bill Thomas, a yeah. 10 out of 10 for the 10 times he was nominated for an Oscar. Oh, shit. Nice. Yeah, and he won for 1960s Spartacus. Oh, I actually recently watched Spartacus. That is a weird movie. <laughs> it's it, yeah, that's like <laughs> like 1960s yeah. to 1970s era of Roman films are really strange to me. Like I, I mean, I just don't the know fact that is, you're saying just, this, I, like, because it was a genre in itself, which is just like it was, yeah. But fascinating it was in the first like, place that like there was so many sword and sandals that's things. true no that that is true like cleopatra was one of them um mm-hmm. i recently watched the julius caesar that had christopher walken in it <laughs> um i watched spartacus and they're they all have this really strange like feeling about them they have this really strange like aesthetic like, you could tell that there was dudes, like, back in, like, the studio who were, like, and then they wore clothes like these that showed off their sexy thighs all the time. Look at the Romans. They're so strong and brave and sexy. It was just weird. Like, <laughs> I don't think they meant to do it on purpose, but you could tell, like, with some of the framing devices in those movies that they're really, like, into just dudes being bros. Just guys being dudes. You know what I mean? Yeah. What's better than this? Guys being dudes. Guys being dudes. And like when women show up, they're just like the meekest, most <laughs> like, oh, my my husband, my husband. Ooh. You know, it's really strange. Really weird. <laughs> I just wanted to say that. No, it's good. Um, I He also did the costumes for Logan's Run in 1976. Oh, that's cool. Which... I don't know if we've spoken about it before, but the seventies is my favorite era of sci-fi. Like it's, it's so a, it's a great era. It's so great. Yeah, because like any movie, they're saying it doesn't matter what period they're setting it in. It still looks like you know it immediately if it's like a seventies movie. Yeah, especially with sci-fi, and it's just a fun aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, especially with sci-fi. I don't know what it is. Maybe the seventies was just like a really strange time, you know, 
Like, the 60s were all about, like, you know, free love and hippy-dippy stuff or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then everybody seemed to, like, be really cynical in the 70s. I guess the war had something to do with that. Well, yeah, and Watergate and all these things. (laughs) Yeah, like, there was a lot of fucked up stuff that happened in the 70s. I feel like the 70s is the 90s of the the 70s <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to explain i'm like, gonna quote you on that that's a good that's a good quote <laughs> i think so so like you know in the 90s like 9 11 happened and we went to war and it was very cynical time and we stopped watching disaster movies and started only watching movies where we beat up terrorists and shit like it was just a weird strange time and i get that same feeling from a lot of 70s stuff there's a lot of like mean cowboy movies now and there's a lot of like youth in decline movies are popular and it's just it's just a strange strange time it's true he also did the costumes on little egypt <laughs> it's a movie from 1951 not i was gonna say not the song <laughs> no what's it about um well this thing is that little egypt was the actual stage name of at least three popular belly dancers from the late 1800s through into the 1900s weird like historically speaking they actually existed huh. and that, w- that was their gimmick they would be like i'm exotic i'm egyptian little egypt they would do their belly dancers so the song was based on that oh and the song was actually a 1961 single by the coasters before it appeared in roustabout oh interesting but not really <laughs> yeah just something <laughs> to throw out there. Yeah. I'm like this movie. I'm just throwing out a bunch of stuff. And yeah. a lot of it you could just ignore because it's like, well, you know, why did you need to go there? But yeah. that's just how it works. So I already talked about the alternate title. It was going to just be called The Chautauqua. Yeah. But no one knows what a Chautauqua is. So they decided yeah. that wasn't, even though that was a better title and more accurate. But now we do. Yes. Yeah. They wanted to go with the most generic sounding because when you hear the title of The Trouble with Girls, you think of a period piece from 1927 where the murder occurs. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely... I, I literally thought around. it was going to be like another 1960s go-go romp where Elvis just like dicks around or something. But no, it has the whole... That's, you know, say what we will about how fucking awful these movies are. They are surprising. You know, the shit that they come up with and like pull out yeah, of their Yeah, especially arts. these last few. This is... This is why it's such a shame because like it plateaued with the like formula for so long. Yeah. That only when he's like on his way out do they start like really trying Letting weird it. things. Yeah. <laughs> and I just wish there was more weird things. Yeah. Because weird like, is at least it, more interesting than. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 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 All right. So let's talk about the rest of the team. I was. Yeah. I was just finishing up. I just wanted to get your thoughts on his name. Walter Hale. Oh, uh, it's a bad name. That's straight from the book. They didn't change it. Yeah. It's a bad name. Okay. He's not a Walter. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, 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 no. Okay, how many songs were in this movie? I think there was four or five. There were five sung by Elvis, and then I'm counting a sixth one with that tr- the tr- the trio. I was correct. I should have told you to like. You got to pick one. You couldn't have said four or five. You got to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pick one, but it's fine. You got it. Technically. Thank you. Thank you. Round of um, applause for Morgan. I did. Woo! Uh, so next question, you got to name them all. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that's your job. I know, I know. So when those 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 three musicians come in and they're like, "We want an audition for you, Mr. Hale," uh, they sing "Hello, Susan Brown," mm-hmm. which was a contemporary song. That's actually a 1962. It was originally recorded by the Chad Mitchell Trio. Huh? Is that who that band is? No. 
Okay. No, those are just <laughs> for this movie. But the whole, the Chad Mitchell trios thing was that they did folk songs and then some originals that were made to sound like old folk songs. Oh, that's kind of interesting. So that's why it doesn't like feel out of place. Like I looked it up and I was like, oh, really? That's a 1962 song. And I kind of like, it has an old timey Americana yeah. feel to it, which makes sense. Cool. Um, as for Elvis, he swing, he sings, he swings. Well, he, he sings <laughs> Swing Down Sweet Chariot. Right. Yeah. Which he was very happy to finally be able to do some gospel stuff in one of these movies. Oh, really? You know, well, yeah, because he's a big time. That's you know, that's his formative right. years. That was right. big, big stuff for him. Right, 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 right. And so this soundtrack, this movie soundtrack, actually features like the first gospel stuff he had done since like a really early one he did, and then later into the seventies he goes oh. right back into it. Yeah. Before we move on, was there any of these songs that stood out that you liked? <laughs> Uh, I liked I liked the one that was basically um, "Love Me Tender" again, <laughs> but with different words. Right. The one that he's singing on stage with the choir dudes. Yeah, that one was "Violet Flower of NYU." Yeah. And both that one and "Love Me Tender" are based on the same old Civil War ballad that was called uh, "Aura Lee." Oh. Also, speaking of those, the, the choir dudes, you say, I like how they're all different college boys. Yeah, that was a really interesting thing. And they're, they, they're just named after their colleges and they have the big letter on their, which, yeah. which does some weird visual gags. Oh, yeah, I guess we'll get it, into yeah. some of the more specifics. But yeah, then there's clean up your own backyard. Yeah, I liked that one, actually. Which that's the one that's really shot like like a weird concert it's footage. It's shot very strangely. There's like kaleidoscopic stuff going on. Yeah, I enjoyed the musicality of that song, but it was really hard for me to pay attention to it because of all the crazy <laughs> fucking camera moves they were doing. It was so weird. Then there's like a little duet of sorts, kind of, and then he like ditches the stage, but he they sing Signs of the Zodiac. It's him and Marlon Mason. Yeah. By the way, I love Marlon Mason. Great, she yeah. She got we're... on stage and started singing. That w- She was amazing. We're going to talk about her. She's great. Let's talk about it. Well, let's finish. And then the last song is Almost, which is what he sings at the piano. Right. So yes, Marlon Mason plays Charlene. No, she plays Charlie. Charlene is her name, but they call her Charlie. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, she's still around and working at 81. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Tell, tell me more. What has she done? Okay. Well, she was a co-star on a short-lived TV series called Long Street. My mom okay. will be really happy that I'm talking about this because I oh. gave her the complete series box set. Uh, a few Christmases ago, and she's just now gone around to, to watching it. But yeah, that series stars James Franciscus as like an insurance investigator who his wife gets killed in a bomb explosion and he's blinded. Oh. But then he becomes like a crime-solving blind man. He's got a cool dog. <laughs> and then she is his business partner slash like secretary. She's a Braille teacher that he teams oh, up with. Oh, okay. And the the show is probably more famous these days because it features Bruce Lee. Oh. He was in four episodes and he plays a martial arts expert who teaches Longstreet how to fight. So it's pretty much like almost a Daredevil show, but it's not quite a Daredevil That's show. That's really interesting. But he, he's a blind man who learns martial arts from like a a martial arts instructor. Yeah. It only lasted like 23 episodes. Um, oh, shit. Which is a shame because it's, it's fun. Yeah. But she did a lot of TV. She She's was... got a set of pipes on her, though, eh? Yes. Which yeah. I don't know if she utilized much in her career, but like, yeah, that's one great, thing that's nice singer. about if you're signing up for an Elvis movie. Well, I say that, but then actually, the majority of these female roles, even when they were singers, they didn't use their talent. So actually, yeah. it did not mean anything. But yeah. <laughs> in this case, it worked out where like, she was signed up for an Elvis movie and she got to sing with Elvis and yeah. to display that, hey, she's good. She was. She was really good. Um, and, and also, I wanted to mention she guest starred in the final episode of Perry Mason, mm-hmm. which is a procedural courtroom show, which had lasted nine seasons, 271 episodes. So she was in the grand finale. Neat. Yeah. So who's next? So there are, 
You might not have recognized faces, but did you recognize anyone's voices? Specifically, the the girl who works at the hotel and who's like trying to get the attention of Elvis. I don't. She's the one who like trips I, over herself. Yeah, oh. I don't remember her her voice from anywhere, but she did seem familiar. Okay, well, she's the voice of Velma from Scooby Doo. Oh shit, that's pretty cool. Gosh, I'm not. And even, I can't even think like of the voice really. Actually, oh man, it's so distinctive. It's, it's, it's just her speaking voice. Like she wasn't doing really a voice. She just sounds like that. You know, I think it's important for people to understand. I I am not actually one of those like millennials that is high on the uh, Scooby Doo meme train. So I haven't watched an episode of Scooby Doo in a very 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 long time. Or have seen and consumed Scooby-Doo media in a very, very, very long time. So I probably would not be able... Like, I can think of her voice in my head, but she had a lot... There was a lot of TV shows. There was a lot of movies. There was a lot of remakes and stuff yes. like that. And that I, to, to, I can't remember one specific voice. To be fair, she's the original voice in the like original Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? But yeah. her character, more than any other Scooby-Doo character, has had many voice actresses right. uh, voice her. Right. Like she's had the most different people right. voice her character. But yeah, her That's and then cool. I was going to say that the reason this is particularly interesting though is because the guy who's playing the Rutgers college kid who has the big R on his sweater is Frank Welker, who's the voice of Fred from Scooby-Doo. What the fuck? <laughs> the gang's all here. So they both appeared in this movie and get ready to have your mind completely blown. This movie premiered exactly 10 days before Scooby-Doo Where Are You began. Weird. Huh. But yeah, they're both alive. They're actually both the only surviving original members from the very first season of the show, wow. other than the original voice of Daphne, who was only in that first season of 17 episodes. Then they switched her out in season two, and it was a different Wow. Episode. He's 75, wow. Frank Welker, and he has he's still going, too, by the way. He's still voicing Fred. Oh, shit. He's been voicing him since 1969, and he's just like <laughs> a super professional voice actor. That's amazing. He's still, like, he. I don't know how that's, his voice still sounds I don't know. the same. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He's got 870 IMDb credits. Like, he's just a powerhouse. Jesus. Whereas, oh, right. And then the lady I'm talking about, Nicole Jaffe, plays Betty Smith in this. She retired, and she's she's 80. Oh, right. So she voiced Velma between 69 and 73. And she actually came out of retirement semi just to do two directed video Scooby-Doo movies in 2003, because that was like the last time they had all of the original voice casts that they could bring wow. together. Yeah, it was fun. Like, isn't it wild to think about how Scooby-Doo is just still going strong? Have they finally stopped making new seasons? No. My God. There's always that, a new version. That's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Like, that's really crazy. That doesn't often happen to children's TV shows. Especially children's TV shows that depict, like, older youths, you know? Some, like, smaller kids' TV shows sometimes will go for a while. But, like, it's that show has been running since the 60s, right? Mm -hmm. That's a long, long time for a series to keep getting remade. And, like, pretty consistently. Oh, wait. I just thought of another little wrinkle that's funny yeah is that in 1985 there was a short-lived one season scooby-doo series called the 13 ghosts of scooby-doo that had as a co-star vincent price oh i think i remember that yes he's pretty much playing himself he plays a character named vincent van gool who's like a wizard he's great yeah he teams vincent up with the gang to help him yeah i remember that <laughs> that's funny but you know who doesn't appear in 13 ghosts of scooby-doo is both velma and fred so the two characters oh. that the actors who appeared in this movie with vincent price 
they're not in the Scooby-Doo series that had Vincent Price in it. That's uh, weird. That's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Look, we're, we've gotten too into Scooby-Doo. I know. I know. Let's, we're getting. This is just becoming a Scooby-Doo cast, no, but it's really fun no, to talk about. I swear. It. Let's get back to it. So, who's next on the docket that we're going to talk about? Wait. I just want to mention Nicole Jaffe is Canadian. She was born in Montreal. So. Oh, nice. That's fun. Okay. So let's talk about Nita Bix. Okay. That's the that's the mother character. She's played by Sherry North. Yeah. Also, yeah. In the book, it's it's Bixby, but I feel like okay. they I don't know they shortened it to Bix for some reason. Maybe okay. because we All had right. Bill Bixby co-star with Elvis a few times. Right. 117 credits. She's an American actress, dancer, singer. This will be very interesting to you. So Marilyn Monroe, right? Big thing. And then she died. Yep. Or even while she was still alive, like in her career, there was like studios were trying to compete, right? They wanted to find their version of Marilyn Monroe. Right. And Sherry North was actually pushed to be 20th Century Fox's intended successor to Marilyn Monroe. Wow. Here, we'll have a live reaction. To, I'm going to put in the chat here. Okay. I have an image from Life Magazine, uh, a cover of Life Magazine with her on it okay give me a second holy hot potatoes she looks an awful lot like marilyn monroe yeah i mean they made her up in all the thing and yeah it like, like the cover suspiciously <laughs> the cover image says sherry north takes over from marilyn monroe like that's literally <laughs> the this was march of 1955 now the sad tale is that this did not work out yeah obviously she did not become the new marilyn monroe in fact they tried to push her in different movies and it didn't work out so yeah she still had a career but it wasn't the career that you know yeah she wanted maybe but she herself played a charlene which is interesting yeah the character of charlene who appeared as ed asner's new girlfriend in two episodes of his show lou grant right and she also appeared on the mary tyler moore show and next time when we do change of habit we shall have ed asner and mary tyler moore as co-stars oh weird appearing so we'll talk okay. about that when we get to it all right and now we'll move on to yeah. the daughter yeah who are these kids I, I will say the two kids are great yeah like they're, they're like pretty good for child yeah. actors and i really like their dynamic and like you feel like they were friends and it worked yeah so anissa jones plays carol bix yeah she had only four credits oh wild this movie yeah but she was also on a sitcom called family affair from 1966 to 1971 where she played buffy the the young girl she was in 138 episodes over five seasons of that show wow another show that my mom is very familiar with she watched it right growing up. right and then willie is played by peppy brown he has 11 credits oh wow so not a lot either the same year as this he was also in an episode of gunsmoke oh interesting. do you remember gunsmoke we talked about gunsmoke uh, as the longest running show like for the longest time there before oh yeah that's right there's actually yeah there's a lot of characters in this movie but I, i've got only a handful more and i can go yeah. through them quick the only other one that i want to talk about is the card player dude with his big funny mouth <laughs> he looks familiar to me okay <laughs> he's just he's down further down my list but yes right i want to talk about so elvis runs this show but he has this like second in command named oh, Johnny, yeah who's actually the one who seems to be calling the shots but technically he's like hey you're the boss he keeps saying you're the boss <laughs> so you have to make these decisions but yeah. i'm the one who's making all these and talking about all these decisions so he's played by edward andrews who i recognized his face i knew him. i'm like oh man this is like one of those Man's character so actors nice. they named him twice yep <laughs> that i saw in like a ton of stuff yeah 187 credits that's a lot he died in 85 and his last two movies were actually appearances in 16 candles and gremlins so like pretty solid oh stuff. neat but more specifically i knew i remembered him when i looked over his stuff and it was from two different episodes of the twilight zone oh. a season one episode and a season five episode so he was at the beginning and the end just kind oh, of bookended there neat yeah okay tell us about the big mouth guy now <laughs> <laughs> Can I just quickly do Vincent okay, Price and John okay, Carradine? All right. Because not Vincent only Price. is Vincent Price in this movie, but John Carradine, who plays Mr. Drew Colt, 
who's the one who does like Shakespeare on the stage. We hear him, but we don't see him when he's performing. Yeah. He was also like an old horror icon. Oh. He's like a contemporary of Vincent Price. There's actually only one movie that exists called The House of the Long Shadows. That was like, they pushed all the advertising was the fact that it was Vincent Price, John Carradine, Peter Cushing, and Christopher Lee all in the same movie together. Oh. It was like the Avengers of horror icons. And it only <laughs> happened once. And the movie's okay. Yeah. But it was, it was fun because it's like an old, it's like a throwback. There's like a, it's like a haunted house picture, but they play right, kind of old right. school. Oh, that's interesting. Anyways, so John Carradine was in that movie with Vincent Price. He also co-starred with Vincent Price in The Monster Club from 1981, oh. which is a fun anthology horror movie. And what do I have to say about Vincent Price? He's Vincent Price. Everyone knows yeah, him. But I will Price. point out, Price. I like to point out his non-horror stuff. Read like his, his, his journal entry. I will. His, But I just want to mention his two early 40s movies before yeah. he, you know, transitioned fully into like his horror career. He was in Laura, classic film noir movie, Laura. He plays la, Shelby la, Carpenter, la, which is a great name. Laura. <laughs> That's definitely how that goes. Um, <laughs> he was <laughs> L-A-U-R-A. <laughs> The year after that, he was in 1945's Leave Her to Heaven, playing Russell Quinton, another great name. Both of those starred Jean Tierney, by the way, as the female lead. I watched Leave Her to Heaven over the break, and that movie is really, it's like a really good melodrama, like really dark. She's like an obsessive woman who doesn't want anyone to get in the way of her husband. Anyway, here's the two entries from the two different biographies. Okay. There was one autobiography that was like from his own words, and then one written by his daughter, which is really great. Ah, I see. Victoria Price. So one of them says, so this is the one that's about his career that he was like interviewed for. It just says, Vincent returned home to make a cameo appearance in the Elvis Presley film The Trouble with Girls as Mr. Morality, a lecturer on morals in Presley's 1927 traveling show. Vincent's only reason for doing the film was in meeting Presley. I was really excited about meeting Presley, recalled Vincent, but to try and meet him was rather difficult because he had about 30 people, bodyguards, secretaries, managers, etc. around him. You sort of had to put your hand through a great crowd to meet him, but he was a very nice man. Oh, that's interesting. And here's why I say there's some conflicting thing, because this is the one written by his daughter. Right. Her entry in the book says, The Trouble with Girls for MGM teamed Vincent with Elvis Presley, but only on the screen. They never met during its filming. Right. So I'm, I'm thinking, well, this, this is possible. It's possible they didn't meet while the, the movie was being made, but maybe he met him it's at a later date. It's kind of a strange thing, like, you know, though, for his daughter daughter to say one thing and for him to say another thing like i would understand if it was written by somebody that wasn't close to him but that it's close to him it's strange to me that there's such a conflict there well memory is susceptible to <laughs> i i know yeah I especially when it's so, been decades like, since this happened i don't know man i was saying he could have met him how would she know? outside of filming this movie how would she know that's my question i know he took her to movie sets a lot like when she when she was young they traveled together this seems interesting to me the point is yeah she continues to say that the movie is a tale about a medicine show and vincent plays mr morality a character that producer lester welch felt represents the dedication and high purpose of the outstanding and authentic chautauqua lecturer as they actually were at the height of the chautauqua movement Ooh. in this country Fancy. And then it says, despite high expectations, Vincent Roll was essentially a cameo in an ultimately forgettable Elvis picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that's fair, to be honest. Yes. These are just footnotes in his yeah. illustrious career. But I'm, I'm actually shocked. But at the same time, it just goes to show how complete these biographies are, that they actually did mention this movie. Because like, it's yeah. like so slight. Yeah. So is there anything else that you want to talk about? Well, you want to hear about Smiley Man, Mr. Big Mouth, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Get, tell me, what who is this guy and what's with his big mouth? So he plays Clarence, the character of Clarence. 
His name is Anthony Teague. He went by Anthony Scooter Teague. Okay. Which definitely, he do, he looks like a guy who would go by Scooter. Yeah. Hey, it's me, sure. Scooter. For sure. And because you asked, I get to tell you no. that he was in West Side Story, 1961. Oh, okay. Yeah, he played oh, Big Deal. that's who he is. I recognized him. I was like, yeah, he's not guy? one of the main jets, but he's like, he's the tall one who's <laughs> like yeah, he's hanging the, around. Yeah, he's, he's usually really, in the back really of the group. Tall. Mm-hmm. He's like super tall. He only has 11 credits. Right. Okay. So that's why, yeah, this movie and then West Side Story. Gotcha. And then, mm-hmm. oh, wait, do we want to talk about the villain of this movie? Because he has quite a big. Oh, yeah. Like, the yeah, guy who I gets guess murdered. We gotta, yeah, I guess we should talk about him. He's Dabney Coleman, big time character actor, 179 credits. Still working at 90. Most recently, he played Kevin Costner's character's dad in Yellowstone. Oh. That show going on right now. Oh, cool. Yeah. He was in, in a very interesting movie I didn't know about. His debut was in a movie from 1965 called The Slender Thread, which starred the late, great Sidney Poitier, who we just lost uh, last month. Oh, yeah. And Anne Bancroft. Sidney Poitier plays an operator at a at a like a suicide hotline, and Anne Bancroft is a woman who calls in and is thinking of you know maybe killing herself, and then he's like, so it's a whole dialogue talking it out thing, right? And it's a really interesting time capsule of telecommunication in the 1960s because they're trying to trace the call or trying to figure out how they can get to her, but it's right. like we don't have that kind of technology like we do yeah. today. Yeah. So he plays a small role in that as Charlie in that movie. That was his debut. And it was the directing debut of Sidney Pollock, who went on to direct They Shoot Horses, Don't They? From 1969, which came out the same year as this. Wow. Which at this point, I think we've talked about so many times. I know, we have. Maybe we we should just do an episode on They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Someday. (laughs) (laughs) But no. Also, you might recognize his. He was also a voice actor. Most famously, he played Principal Peter Prickley in Recess. Oh, shit. Remember that show? Oh, yeah. I loved Recess. Yeah. That show was awesome. Recess, great. Uh, I loved loved the principal character, too. He was so. There was something about him. I just (laughs) thought he was really funny. Mm-hmm. He's got a great voice for kind of yeah. like playing a jerk. He was also What's famously this? What's uh, this kids playing with these. Yeah, he was the sleazy boss in Nine to Five with Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, and Dolly Parton. Uh, that they get revenge on in 1980. Whoa! Wait! 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 Dolly Parton is the is the singer, right? Mm-hmm. She's done movies. She, she was in a show called Nine to Five. No, she was in a movie called Nine to Five. She was in a movie. Yes, called yes, Nine and the five. song is on the soundtrack. To, yeah, it's on Nine to Five. Okay, that's fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was like the big draw. They're like, hey, it's Dolly Parton. Oh. She's great in it, too. Like, it's 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 like pretty much playing herself, but like, it she works. Is. She's Dolly Parton. She's great in everything. That woman could be I know, in I'm a just... <laughs> blue suit made of latex, and she'd be great in that, too. My goodness. She's actually a I mean, Morgan, we're, we're hosting an Elvis podcast where half the time we talk about how Elvis can't act worth for shit. So, like, I'm just saying, yeah. <laughs> it's not, you know, I can't just automatically assume that a great performer on the stage will also be a good actor, but she's great in 9 to 5. And she's great. Yeah, I love her. And she's just great in general, yes. We stand for Dolly Parton. Sure. <laughs> Why wouldn't we? Oh, that's all very So that's all yeah. the people. Yeah. So we're going to end with some factoids. Sure. So Elvis was paid $850,000 plus 50% of the profits. And this movie Ooh. actually did make money. It wasn't a wow. bomb, but it wasn't, you know, as big a success as yeah. the height of his career. Right. Interestingly, there are publicity stills for this movie that feature Elvis and Marlon Mason posing with guns in front of 1960s <laughs> Cadillacs like Bonnie and Clyde. Weird. That has nothing to do with the movie. Weird. Like they were just having fun one day and they're just like, yeah, oh, let's snap some pics. Yeah. But then again, it makes you think of a movie that could have existed. Maybe they could have been in some fun gangster uh, picture or that something. That would have been fun. I would have watched that. Elvis in a pinstripe suit. Elvis with a Tommy gun. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> It's in a it's an old timey car, like it's one like a Ford T model, but it is pink. Yes. 
Uh, there's Fuck, a sequence I watch that where movie so bad. <laughs> I, no, we can't. We sorry, we can't. I, I'm sorry, I put that image in your head. Can't linger on what should have been. We got to talk about uh. what was. <laughs> but there's a sequence where so Marlon Mason is the story lady of the Chautauqua, and she's the one who auditions kids because they always put on a little pageant, a little show. Yeah. And one of the kids auditioning sings a song, When You Wore a Tulip. Yes. And yeah. she's like got a very shaky kind of voice. And I a little, actually a know that song. Yes. Yeah. But that little girl is an uncredited Susan Olsen who would show up in The Brady Bunch, which would premiere like a few oh. weeks after this movie came out in September oh, wow. of 1969. Wow. And here's, okay, this is the most interesting bit that I read and then it required me to go down a bit of rabbit hole. So it's said in the IMDb trivia, Elvis Presley typically appeared in every scene of his movies. But this film's unusual structure, including a number of other actors and subplots that unfold through the eyes of the children and, and other people, resulted in two unlikely yardsticks. The fewest Presley vocals in all of his musicals, that I'm not too sure of, and then the least amount of screen time now this was what jumped out at me because i said mm, is it possible that he has less screen time in this movie than in love me tender his debut where he was a co-star right did you and long story short no okay but yes i did go through the trouble of rewatching and cataloging his exact screen time in both films that's what i was gonna ask and the you. breakdown is that love me tender <laughs> is an hour and 29 minutes yeah and 34 seconds whereas this movie is an hour and 39 minutes and 11 seconds so it's almost 10 minutes longer yeah so i thought maybe that would balance out and in for the first hour, I was getting nervous because within the first hour of Love Me Tender, he's in 18 minutes and 24 seconds. But the first hour of this movie, he's only in 16 minutes and 45 seconds. So I'm like, holy crap, maybe he's in less time. But then they make up for it in the third act. And in the final tally is that out of the hour and 39 minutes and 11 seconds, he is in 36 minutes and 8 seconds, which is still only 36.43% of the movie. Wow. Holy Jesus. And Love Me Tender, he's in 27 minutes and six seconds out of an hour and 29 and 34, right. which is 30.26%. God, that's weird to think about. So really, yeah, not too far off, but it is really weird to think about. Yeah, you're watching yeah, an Elvis is. movie it's and he's in really less than strange. half. Like he's, he's yeah. in 36%. Huh. But it just goes to really show that, yeah, this movie has a lot going on, way too much going on. And there's yeah, a lot of weird, much. you know, just subplots and stuff. Yeah. Before I lose the thread of those. So the thing about the point of view of children, yes, there's sequences where Peter Tewksbury like the kids are watching the little singer's audition for Elvis and then they're like blinking their eyes really fast. And then it cuts to the like yeah. the shot and it's like from their point of view, but then the screen Such keeps cutting to black and then they're like shot. shaking their heads. So like the camera's Going like shaking back and forth and they're like tilting their heads. Yes, yeah, and crossing their eyes. So it's getting double vision. I found that so unnecessary, you know? Like you I can found tell somebody was bored when fun. they were making this movie. <laughs> sure, yeah, it was sure. fun, but it was super unnecessary. Like you can tell that the director was like, ah, what am I going to do today? I don't know. So I feel like out of all around. of the things that they adapted from the book, all the stuff with the kids is the closest to the book and I think the most successful kind of. Yeah. Like the entire sequence where they acquire fireworks and then they have to get rid of the fireworks. That's all from yeah. the book and it's a really fun little through line. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The last thing I mentioned, because I already talked about Frank Welker and Nicole Jaffe. Okay. There's a scene where he's playing football, right? Yeah. He's really into it. He just loves football. And that's true of Elvis in, in real yeah. life. He was a big he football a big guy. Fan. And yeah. next time, when we talk of change of habit, we get to see even more football scenes. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. There's like a whole sequence where he's playing with the boys and just throwing Weird. the pigskin around. Because in this movie, it's all like in the background. You know, like they're, and then he's like yeah. running towards the kids, and they think they're. I, I like that and, scene. Anyway. I like the scene where the kids were like, "Oh yeah. no, they're gonna get us!" <laughs> that was really cute. Yeah, I like the point of view shot where it's him holding the box of fireworks, and you see it like in the foreground, and like it's the yeah. camera's like super low because they're looking up yeah. at all the adults, and then like they see like the deputy with his badge, and they're like, "Oh no!" Because they're like, "Oh no, no these fireworks right. were illegal." That was okay. 
I thought the kids did a good job of the acting, actually. Yeah. Like, they looked like they were really afraid, you know. It was fun. And when they do their little tap dance number on stage, this is, yeah. like, delightful. And it's like, hey, yeah. wait, these are kids with actual talent because everyone else yeah. in this town is, like, tone deaf. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, true. Which is, yeah, all, this, all the stuff that was successful in the book and that actually worked translated yeah. this. Well, this movie sucked. <laughs> Yeah, because well, there, there's a murder in this movie, yeah, and it, it, then it wasn't the, worst the way they sold movie that we watched, but it was certainly like I don't want to watch it again, and I'm glad it's over, and I'm glad that it's just one more movie. I need to say that this movie resolves by Elvis exploiting this woman. Yeah. Oh, he's like, I know how we're gonna be able to get the town on your side for like killing this dude in South of France, and also you get to make some money. So he yeah. starts advertising that he's like, hear a murderer confess tonight yeah. under the big top. And then everyone shows up, and then meanwhile, she shows up late and drunk, and they have to sober up, and it's really weird and dumb. Like, it, it suddenly becomes way slapsticky, and like, yeah. like what are we Ooh, supposed to... Because before that, the... Conf- a, yeah. There's also a really disgusting joke in this movie where she's like passed out and one of the college boys is there oh god oh, get, no. yeah trying to help her get sober and the the johnny boss, says yeah, one yeah. of the bo- like elvis's guy who's helping him with all this stuff looks at the college guy and he's like well what what did you do if you took a girl out and she got you know hammered like this and he was like mister i've never been that lucky and i was like oh yeah that oof i forgot about that until just now yeah 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 it was really awful yeah especially since i think one of the strongest scenes especially showing that she's like a really good actress her confession scene when they're at the gazebo and it's all like one long take i don't know if you noticed this i did she's really man it's she's like she's She's in a completely different movie like that's yeah yeah it's a great scene but it it has no bearing on the tone of anything else it's Mm -hmm. so weird it's all over the place yes sirree Um, i'm ready to stop talking about this fucking movie i know you're okay you're done all right I just want to say, suffice to say, in the book, they hold the trial in the tent, and it's not like they don't make a show out of it and stuff, and then there's actual, like, witnesses, and they do, like, a whole courtroom thing. Right. But they just don't have time for that, so instead, she goes on, and she goes, I killed him, and then it just smash cuts <laughs> to everyone's like, yay! It's that so stupid. so weird. It's so weird. That was so fucking crazy to me. Like, I was yeah, like, I, I swore that we were missing a scene or something. Like, what I happened? to so like, The video like, skip, but no. Through the, the no. ending scene, I was like, something must have happened, but no, no, that's just how it was. And then last, this is just a, a fun filmmaking thing I need to point out. Okay. We know we like to talk about a, a fun transition. Yes. And there's a really good one where, so Nicole Jaffe is like, oh, you're, you you need a piano girl. And then he's like, she's like, I can play the piano. He's like, okay, it uh, doesn't pay or anything. Actually, it doesn't pay at all. And then she's like, oh, that's fine. I just want to be part of the Chautauqua. And then he's like, all right, then you have yourself a... And then on the word deal, it switches to the scene of Clarence dealing out the cards at the card game. Oh, that's true. Yeah. And that was a fun, that was a really great little moment. Interesting. Say what I will about this director being like a kook, (laughs) but he does do some fun stuff with editing. Yes. Like... I don't know if he, he how in control he was. I know sometimes editors get more leeway or less depending on their relationship with directors and how the team works as a group. But he seems to have a really good sense of cuts yes. and where to time them and how to employ them, which is kind of interesting considering he makes bad Elvis movies. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just interesting. Uh, High energy, you know, really aware of the mm-hmm. energy that a, that a cut brings into a movie. Yeah. So that's fun, I guess. Anyway. And that is we'll officially call it. That's the end. And if you, if you want, because I know this is definitely, me. this is definitely not one of the more like 
frequently seen Elvis movies. I don't know where you would yeah. track this down, but it's maybe worth seeking out just because it's, it's interesting. It's weird yeah, it's interesting. and it doesn't really work, but it's there fun. are there it's are individual scenes. Yeah, it's yeah, fun to watch it with that are fun. popcorn and laugh. It's a, it's a very classically not good Elvis movie, but it's definitely not one of the bad Elvis movies where like you just hate to get through it. Yeah, you know. So um, round up a group of people. And put some popcorn on, and I think you might enjoy yourself. Yeah. Drink every time there's a there's a, a crazy cut. <laughs> yeah, anytime the camera move is doing some weird stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so we will see you all. Well, we will. You will hear yeah, us. Let's, let's give them the, next give them the outro time. next week, or well, hopefully next, next week. Next yeah, time. We, ha- we gave you a bit of a oh, hiatus. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. We gave you a bit of a hiatus. We, right we, now, yeah, we're trying I'm, to schedule. Shut up, man! I'll tell them about it. <laughs> I'm going. <laughs> I'm I'm back at work. Morgan so doesn't want to. Stop! <laughs> <laughs> I'm going back to work, so the schedule is all up in the air. So we really appreciate you guys holding out for the new episodes. We always love to see your engagement, so it really means a lot for you guys to be so patient with us while we're trying to get these out. But hopefully we'll be back on for a regular schedule next week. We're going to watch the last Elvis movie, the very, very last one. Thank Christ, thank the gods almighty, change of habit. And Matt wants to watch a bunch of tours of elvis and like extend this podcast forever and ever and ever not forever and ever we've yeah, been he through totally this does. he totally does he what he wants to do we've said it before he wants to watch the tours then he wants to watch bubba hotep and then he wants to watch the elvis movie that's coming out whenever the heck it's coming out and then maybe we'll stop doing the elvis podcast but i sincerely doubt it because matt despite being the second biggest elvis fan in this duo is obsessed with this elvis man (laughs) (laughs) with this this guy whoever he is whoever he is yeah so the gist of it is uh, we're hoping to see you again next week for change of habit the movie where elvis hugs mental illness out of a child with love that's that's are a you thing excited that yeah that's a, that's a, that's what happens i mean yeah i as as we're recording this i have not seen it yet so this is i really this is the last one and then it's i will have to officially one. watch all 31 yeah. i'm like preparing my speech you know like i'm getting mm. so geared up and ready for it and we'll so. probably do just like an after like a wrap it up show like we did with the yeah, halfway point but just like an end of the idea. whole series thing yeah just wrap it all up and talk about it and whatever the heck and all that stuff so please stay tuned officially for that as well. rank all the names which that yeah. might be it might just be an hour long of us just <laughs> trying to figure trying out to where remember the names, all the names. Now. <laughs> yeah <laughs> we'll also Too rank many. the movies we'll tell you which ones are the best and which ones are the least best and all that oh yes yeah, so the official like end all yeah. be all uh, <laughs> elvis movie rankings and you know that it will be because nobody else in the history of being alive has ever committed to watching all 31 elvis movies to tell you guys the audience about what they're all about. So you know that you can trust our judgment because we're the only people who have done the actual work. All of the opinions that we have, just you just listen to our opinions and then pretend that they're your own. There you go. Our gift to you. Uh, let's wrap it up, folks. That is it for this week. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our Spotify. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're, we're on, like I said, we're on most things. We're on, Not SoundCloud. Spotify, we're on Spotify, on we're on Podbean. Podbean. We have a Facebook page that people keep going to and like signing up for and liking, but we haven't posted anything in it. So we appreciate all of you, you guys are doing God's work. And uh, I guess with that, we'll just have to say thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you, you very, very much. much.